Hello and welcome to episode 6 of Banana Republic, the podcast about all things politics in Birmingham. I am Graham Brown and I'm sat here with our local government correspondent, Neil Alks. How are you doing, Neil? I'm alright, thanks. Uh, and uh, thank you for joining us again this week. So this week we've got some big names in. We are uh, Neil. T- talk to us about who you've been talking to. Yeah, we've got an interview um, which some of you may have seen on Facebook Live with uh, Council Leader Ian Ward and his Deputy Leader Bridget Jones. So I don't really get much more senior in the uh, in the council on that. How did uh, how did this come about? What is it they've been talking about? Well, um, following the election, they've now got a four-year term of office confirmed. So um, obviously we, we wanted to ask them about their agenda and we, we sought some questions from our readers and, and got a real mixed bag of uh, responses. So where do they sit now? They've, they've, come through the, uh, they've come through the local elections, they're in place, they're, they are not going to be challenged for what, another year? They're, they're sitting surprisingly pretty, aren't they, Ian and Bridget? Are they, are they, are they the one and two for, for some time to come, do you think? Um, very likely, as long as the... Uh, the council is, is, is run on an even keel. Um, you know, it's been a rocky time last few years, but um, they, they, their intent is to steady the ship, and they've actually got a four-year term this time. Yeah. Um, it would take a vote of no confidence or a drastic uh, change of circumstances for them to be removed before 2022. It seems like an un, unusual, when you consider you know, the, the Clancy and the end of Boer era before, it seems like an unusual amount of uh, political stability that a, that a leadership... That, you know, that a leader can have at this moment in time. It seems seems like we've we've got over a period of mass instability. Well, um, they've um, a, a technical issue. They've they've removed the um, ability to routinely challenge them on an annual basis, and and obviously the elections are now only every four years. So that has provided some background stability. Um, but also, I think the um, the councillors across the board are feeling that after the rocky times of bin strikes, leadership crisis, Kerslake reviews, that perhaps, you know, now is the time to just keep things going and, and actually, uh, you know, get down to the fundamentals, bins, potholes, contracts, budgets, uh, social services, and get those things right. Yeah, it's not like they haven't got things to fix. So, so, so tell us about some of the stuff you've uh, you've been talking to Ian and Bridget about. Well, as you'd expect, things like bins came up um, pretty prominently, as did potholes. People are really annoyed about the state of the roads, and obviously the council's been in a dispute with its contractor. Um, there were questions uh, over knife crime, and, and the council has a part to play with that, a lot, along with the police, of course. Um but we also got some uh, a couple of curveball ones. Um, particularly one that that caught me interest was one about nightlife. Um, and and Councillor Jones, who represents a student district, had had some knowledge on that, which is a gives a very interesting answer on that. And um, also uh, about travellers, which obviously we're coming into that season where where um, some people's parks seem to get regularly. Um, find themselves with 30 caravans and a pile of rubbish and uh, people want this tension to end. Okay, well that sounds uh, interesting stuff. Well, we, well, well, you've got the leader and the deputy leader, it's probably best I get out of the way so you can listen to it. Here's Neil's interview with the uh, leader and deputy leader. I'm here with council leader Ian Ward and council deputy leader Bridget Jones who've just, uh, just been elected for four years in their posts. So they'll be running the city council, running the city until 2022. And um, I'm going to ask each of them to tell us a bit about themselves and their background uh, by way of introduction. First, Ian. Hello, I'm Ian Ward, the uh, leader of Birmingham City Council. 
Uh, I've been on the council since 1995. Uh, I was previously the cabinet member for leisure, sport and culture and then the deputy leader for a number of years. So have served a long apprenticeship before arriving in the role of leader of the council. And uh, I am determined now that um, with the four year term that Neil uh, referred to, that we will make the necessary decisions in order to move the whole of the city forward and create a better Birmingham for all of our people. And now Bridget. So, hi, I'm Bridget Jones. That is my real name, I promise. <laughs> I lived in Birmingham. I came here as a student in uh, 2005. Uh, just fell in love with the city and never left. I've been on the council representing Selly Oak, or the ward now known as Bournebrook and Selly Park, since 2011. Um, and for the last five and a half years, I've run children's services and education uh, with that cabinet portfolio. I became deputy leader in November. So along with Ian, um, my mission is to make sure that the council is the council that the citizens of Birmingham deserve and that it's running in a modern, efficient way, um, doing everything it needs to do to make the city as great as it can be. Right. Um, I'm going to ask, um, first of all, Ian, um, for some ideas about what you see as the priorities for your four years um, of this council, and then we'll move on and take some questions from our readers. Well, we've been elected uh, on a manifesto, Building a Better Birmingham, uh, and so we will now carry out uh, the implementation of that manifesto. And in particular, it referred to our need to create the jobs that the growing city is going to need in the future, build the homes that people will need to live in, and particularly for uh, the children of the people of Birmingham, we've got to build homes so that they do have a place to live in this city in the future. We also recognise that uh, we now need to sort out the refuse collection service and do something about the extraordinary level of fly tipping that's currently going on across the city. So we have a cabinet portfolio now that's wholly focused on that issue because we must sort that out and we will be retaining the weekly collection of residual waste uh, as we reform and modernise our waste collection service. We also have to deliver the Commonwealth Games in four years' time without impacting on the City Council's revenue budget, but also ensuring that the City makes the most of that once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. So changing the City's image, both nationally and internationally, and demonstrating to the world what Birmingham and its people can offer to the world. Those are the priorities for the uh, council going forward, along with one other actually, and that is to do something about the wholly unacceptable number of potholes there are on the roads in Birmingham at the moment. We are in a legal dispute with the private sector contractor that repairs our roads. We need to get that resolved and put the roads into the kind of condition that the people of Birmingham expect. Right. Um, can I just uh, come over to my colleague and get some questions? Um, In fact, um, Taz Evans was asking about the potholes, and I just wonder if you could perhaps go into a bit more detail about what's going on there. Um, for background, Amy, the contractor and Birmingham City Council have been locked in a dispute. Council says it's not, um, Amy isn't fulfilling its part of the contract. Amy disputes that um, and, and has said it is, and, and the Council should be uh, doing a bit more to, to you know, for, for, or it's doing more than it's been asked to do. Um, and I think the council's won the case. So, you know, where do you see those negotiations going, those talks over the, the future of the contracts? Where do you see the service going? Well, I think, as I've already said, we've got to resolve our differences with Amy. As you point out, the Court of Appeal judgment back in February was in the City Council's favour. So um, we now have to, with 
Amy, sit down and work out how we are going to uh, resurface the roads and footways in this city to the standard that's set out in the contract. And it's a three-way contract. It's not just ourselves and Amy. It's ourselves, Amy and the government who are putting additional funding into uh, the city as a result of us being in this uh, PFI arrangement. So we've got to resolve our differences and ensure that we deliver the roads that the people of this city deserve. And we need to do that quickly because, as I've already said, the roads at the moment are unacceptable. Right. Um, I'm going to ask Bridget a question now, one, one that's on her old patch of education. Um, we've had a reader called Jazz Kayla who's asked, um, particularly concerned about school places into Arthur Terry School, for example. Um, and I'm just wondering, you know, I know you've had some issues there before when you were a Cabinet member. Um, what can be done about school places and what can the Council do? Because I think that I'm right in saying a lot of these schools are academies and independently run. So. You're absolutely right. So it's an ongoing problem for us providing school places in Birmingham and that's because the system for providing them is such a mess nationally. So the council runs some schools, other schools are independent academies and then some schools open up as independent state schools called free schools. So you've got three types of school going on in the city all with their own criteria about whether or not they expand or whether or not they, um, they shut down classes and they all answer to different people in the system. So Birmingham City Council's got a responsibility for making sure every kid has a fantastic school place. Actually, our ability to legally deliver on that is really limited because of central government policy and the fact that academies and free schools don't answer to us and don't have to, don't have to offer extra places when we tell them that that's what we need. But despite that, what we try and do to get around it is we try and have a good working relationship with them. So we coordinate, we have meetings every few months with the Regional Schools Commissioner, who's responsible for academies and free schools. We sit down, we get our maps out, we look at where we need the places, and we try and reach an agreement, even though they don't have to legally cooperate with us, about where we will provide the extra places. It's a really complex picture in Birmingham, especially your secondary schools, because you've got faith schools, you've got single-sex schools, and parents' preferences... Um, don't always go the way you think they might go. It's not just as simple as providing the places. They might be in the type of school parents aren't opting for that year. Um, but every year we work with the elected members to find out what's going on locally, where we think the places are needed, um, and consult on our plan. So I'd urge them to, if they've got a particular issue, get in touch with their local elected councillor um, and feed into them so that they can make sure that we're providing, we're doing what we can. To provide the places. So you, you can't dictate to schools, you have to work with them and it's a we can't, negotiation. Sadly. Yeah. <laughs> okay, sadly. <laughs> you want to be in charge. Um, something else that's come up is, I think Paul Morgan's asked us about travellers and I know that was a big problem in Selly Oak mm. last couple of years, which you represent, Bridget. Um, what do you see as, um, I guess that we're coming into summer again, it might be a problem again. How do you think the, the council can, can play a part in, in perhaps um, ensuring that travellers have somewhere to go but that they don't impact on communities? So the trick is making sure they've got somewhere to go. So what we're trying to do at the moment is find some sites in Birmingham where travellers can safely and legally go and make their pitch, stay for a few days and move on. The trouble is finding a suitable place within the city for that. Um, we're so tight on land and of course travellers... Um, aren't always popular um, in communities. Not everybody wants a traveller site near them. Um, but we're working to try and find some sites where we can direct travellers to. 
In the meantime, it's absolutely not okay for them to be pitching up on council land uh, or on any other type of land for that matter without permission. Um, and, if they, and it's certainly not okay for them to be leaving behind a mess or intimidating locals, as has been the case in some areas. We've worked in Selly Oak and um, Bourneville. We've got injunctions in place on some of the key parks where, um, where travellers have been staying and causing problems. And those injunctions will be in place for another two years and they've been really effective um, at tackling um, that problem. But we work very closely with the police and we have a travel liaison group as well within the council. Um, to make sure that we're reaching out to the different traveller communities who come from very many diverse backgrounds, um, understand why they're in our city, uh, do what we can to divert them onto safe and um, suitable places, hmm. uh, but ultimately enforce if they are causing problems locally. Yeah, I mean we've had some trouble, haven't we? Um, perhaps we moved to Ian, uh, finding um, established sites for them or establishing a, an official site for travellers to use. Yeah, we've identified in the Birmingham Development Plan that uh, we need to produce uh, other sites. I think we have to produce a permanent site and a temporary site somewhere in the city, whereas Bridget's been saying it's difficult to find uh, a location um, where we could direct travellers to and, and place a site because um, uh, there, is, there is a lot of resistance to having such uh, a site near where, where, where um, ordinary, if I use that word, families live. So um, it, it's an issue that we continue to grapple with, but I think we, having assessed the need, we will come up with a location for these two sites. Um, and we will continue to work very, very closely with the police to ensure that um, the law is followed by uh, the travelling community that happened to visit Birmingham. Right. Um, I'm going to move on now to the, to the bins. I know it's, a, it's been a massive issue the last year. Um, for those who don't know, we've had strikes, we've had problems. Uh, the bin service is still, to many eyes outside the council, in, in a bit of disarray thing, and, and fly tipping has, has been epidemic. Um, how, how do you um, now? You've got a new cabinet member. You've got new, um, you know, you've got a four-year term. So anxieties about elections are out of the way. How do you plan to tackle this going forward, um, Ian? Well, as you've just pointed out, we now have a new portfolio that's wholly focused on refuse collection and recycling and reusing uh, and, and nothing else, because I accept that we've got to sort this service out. We've got to modernise it. We cannot have a repeat uh, of uh, the way the service has been delivered over the last six or seven months with uh, missed collections, with fly tipping across the city. We need to get on top of these issues. And we need to work with the, um, with the communities out in Birmingham um, it, you know, for every piece of litter that's dropped, someone from the council has to go out and pick it up, and that costs uh, many millions of pounds each and every year. So if we can reduce the amount of litter on the streets, that would be a step in the right direction. We need to ensure that people are putting their wheelie bins out on the correct day for collection. Uh, and to the correct location where they're going to be collected from uh, and we need to encourage people to do more recycling because our recycling rate is one of the lowest in the country so we've got to modernise this service and we now have a cabinet member that's going to be wholly focused on that going forward Does it, does it require more investment because um, you know the, the, the service has run over budget for many years um, and, and still hasn't quite you know, performed uh, well, hasn't performed at all well on, on re particularly on recycling, as you say. So, is it about investment? Are you not putting enough money in for a city the size of Birmingham, or is it about the efficiency, the way it's organised? Yeah. I think it's a bit of uh, both. Um, 
We certainly need to organise um, uh, the reference collection service in a more efficient way to ensure that we are delivering the service that people deserve. Uh, and we need to look at whether we are spending enough money to, give, to, to deliver the cleanliness of streets that I think the city should have. Um, one of the things we'll be doing going forward is we're now uh, looking at the council's plan. We need to recast the council's plan in line with the manifesto on which we've just been elected. Uh, and we're, then we need to decide whether we have to bend the budget to meet the priorities that we've set. And we'll certainly be having a discussion about whether we have enough resource behind street cleansing and, and refuse collection. If we conclude we need to invest more in that service, then that's what we'll do. But it's got to be a modern service. It's got to be efficiently run. Okay. Um, we've also had um, a question about um, the London overspill. And, and is that about the... Um, I'm just referring to my colleague off camera here about the, um, the, the homeless or the, the, the people in need of housing that are being sent up to Birmingham? Yeah, so people mm -hmm. being uh, homed in Birmingham from London um, ahead of uh, Birmingham families in need of housing. That's what people are asking about. And, um, you know, is, is there a space for them? Are you being consulted? I don't know who wants to take that. Or... Well, I think first, first and foremost, mm. Birmingham has a growing population. Mm. Uh, so... Over the next 12-13 years we know the population will grow by 150,000 and we know we've got to build the homes that, that growing population will need. Now people, I suspect, will continue to come out of London and relocate uh, in, here in Birmingham. We've seen that happen with HSBC where their staff have come out of, of London to Birmingham. We'll no doubt see it again with HMRC who are also relocating uh, to Birmingham. Uh, so we've got to be building homes to accommodate all of these people. And it's because of the success of the city that we're getting this growth in population and people relocating out of London. It's clearly much more affordable to live in Birmingham than it is to live in London. And people, as they are discovering that and working out, I anticipate we'll see uh, levels of inward investment and companies relocating out of London into Birmingham increasing as we go forward. What I think it's worth noting, though, is when a London borough moves a homeless family um, to Birmingham or a family they can't accommodate locally, they don't jump the queue for council housing locally. What they do is they go into the private rented sector in Birmingham. Um, so they're not displacing brummies from council housing. Uh, they'll be taking up private rented things, um, homes rather. Mm. Um, very often we're not told about them, but we've tried to get better relationships with because some of those. Because it's a private like, arrangement. Because it's a private arrangement, yeah. yeah. Um, but obviously those families who you know, moved halfway across mm. the country have other school needs, maybe social care needs, so we do try and have good relationships with the London boroughs um, and other people that might be placing uh, so that we can have some better coordination there. We've also made a manifesto pledge to... Um, intervene in the private rented sector where we know that landlords are not providing accommodation to the standard that we would expect. Mm. Um, so we will be doing something to ensure that uh, private rented landlords actually provide accommodations fit for people to live in. So you'll be what, working on enforcement of, of yes. conditions? Yeah. So more inspectors, more people yeah. knocking on doors and making sure all the locks and the windows and everything's up to scratch. And we'd like to see people living in the private uh, rented sector organised in a similar way that people are in council housing. So people in council housing have a, will have a housing liaison board, they'll have a voice, they'll be able to make representations to the council and we think that uh, uh, tenants living in the private rented sector should have a similar voice. 
So like a yeah, tenants associations and mm-hmm. things. Okay. The private rented sector in Birmingham is now bigger than our council housing stock. Mm. So well, it's a sector we've got to respond to and we have to be standing up for those residents. And I think I wrote something recently, uh, that the council housings, um, that the number of council houses has fallen by half in the last 20 years, I think. Right to buy, isn't it? 120,000 yeah. down to about 60,000 today. So that, that's a shrinking area. Mm. But it's something that you're trying to rectify, isn't it? Or trying to, you know, offset with um, the municipal housing. That's trust. right. Um, um, we, we know that we've got to build uh, over 90,000 homes between now and 2031. Mm. We also know that um, there have been three peaks of house building since the Second World War, and each one of them was driven by public sector housing, by councils building houses for people to live in. Uh, and the Birmingham Municipal Housing is now the largest developer of uh, homes in the city uh, and if we're going to meet our housing need uh, we're going to need to expand the amount of houses built by the public sector now we'll happily talk to government about that we're talking to the Labour Party nationally about it you won't be surprised to hear uh, the Labour Party nationally are supportive of our position mm. and, the, and the mayor as well he's got money for housing hasn't he the West his, his job is to draw down uh, the funding to allow us to build these homes uh, and um, we've got to have a plan for where they're going to go uh, because much of our housing need, or a slice of it, uh, in excess of 30,000, uh, has to be accommodated in neighbouring local authorities uh, under the uh, duty to cooperate. So we are talking to neighbouring local authorities in order that they can help us meet the housing need that we have. And just something that came up with in one of my conversations last week, you, you lost a seat, or they're new seats, so you can't actually lose them, but you didn't win the seat in Druid's Heath, which has been a labour area. It's an estate that many say has been neglected, you may have been punished for that, um, for, for that neglect over generations. Um, what about investment in the existing housing stock or regeneration of that housing stock? Yes, we, uh, we have within the HRA uh, a plan to invest in all of our housing stock across the city. But I think that there's a bigger question here about uh, our need to look very carefully at those communities that we would have expected to have voted Labour and ask ourselves the question, why didn't that happen? Mm. And I think if you look at the outer uh, ring of, uh, of wards in, in Birmingham, they are by and large white working class communities and the Labour Party was brought into being to represent the working class. So we do need to ask ourselves, what what are we not doing here that's causing white working class people to no longer see the Labour Party as their party? We need to put that right. Uh, uh, Any ideas, any answers to how you go about that? Well, I think on the housing issue, Mm. we we need to be building the homes that people and their children are going to need uh, in the future. And we need to be addressing the issues that um, white working class are concerned about in in, in the city of Birmingham. And uh, in order to do that, we've got to start talking to them and listening a little more carefully to what they're saying. I'm going to go over to Carl now and just see if we've got any more comments that have come in or, or Yeah, questions. we've got a, a lot of comments about the increasing crime rates across the city. Obviously, it's predominantly a police issue, but um, what can the council do to help uh, address the problem? So, um, yeah, uh, in case you didn't hear, um, Carl's a bit far from the mic, so maybe. Um, we've got problems with um, particularly knife crime and, and gun crime across the city, and, and there's been a couple of questions about you know, what the council can do to play its part in trying to solve those um, those concerns. Obviously, it's predominantly a police matter to investigate and prosecute, but, um, you know, surely the council has a part as a, you know, 
city leadership. And Community safety is mm. uh, part of our responsibility. It's obviously mm. an area where we have to work uh, very closely um, with the police. Uh, but I think there's a, a challenge to the government here with the rising knife crimes. It's not just Birmingham, it's, it's across the country. It's a particular problem in, in large cities uh, across the country. I don't think the cuts to police that the government have implemented to help here. You know, I, during the election campaign, spoke to lots of people who were complaining about the fact that they rarely see a police officer anymore because the numbers have been cut so dramatically. Uh, so I think we've got to be working with the police, we've got to be working with our communities to come up with a solution to this. Uh, at the end of this, what you have got is young people taking knives out onto the street placing their own lives at risk as a result of doing that and we've got to find a way of stopping this knife culture from uh, from growing any further and we've got to find a way of, uh, of weaning young people off it yeah and is, is some of that um, about you know building houses and and, and, and creating jobs and, and creating a community that people want to defend rather than destroyed. Yeah, I think so. people have got to believe again, and this part might be part of the answer for white working class people, that they have a stake in the future of the city, uh, and they can get a meaningful job that will give them a, a meaningful life, uh, and if we don't do that we will have failed uh, mm. the people of this city. Um, I'm going to perhaps link it uh, a little tenuously to, to the Commonwealth Games. Um, a lot of people, when, whenever we write about the Commonwealth Games and uh, the Birmingham Mail and Birmingham Live have been very supportive of our bid. We think it will be a good thing for the city. But a lot of our readers are still sceptical and they say you can't get basics like bins or, you know, we've got social problems and, and things that need addressing urgently. How does the... So how does that square with the Commonwealth Games, in, in your opinion? Um, you know, how does that benefit us? I've said quite a lot about the Commonwealth Games over recent months, so I'll let Bridget have a, a go at answering that first, and then I might chip in afterwards. Okay. So the Commonwealth Games isn't just about two weeks of sport. It's about bringing in record investment into the city, getting in hundreds of millions of pounds worth of transport infrastructure, uh, to connecting communities to jobs, getting new homes built in the city, um, and actually getting Birmingham on every TV screen in the world and showcasing our fantastic city to all the investors out there and all the businesses who might want to move here. It, this is going to put Birmingham on the world stage in a way it hasn't been for decades. And ultimately, it's about the Games is a lever to, to improve the economy um, locally, to create more jobs for people and to, to address exactly the problems Ian's just talked about. We need to make sure that everybody in Birmingham benefits from this and is able to access the opportunities that come from the Games um, just to create a more cohesive city um, and a thriving city. That's what this is about. Uh, the Games is our way of, of delivering that. Okay, because we're under a spotlight here, aren't we? Um, and certainly our, our readers will be looking to see what, what else happens beyond, as you say, the two weeks of sport. Um, what sort of steps are being taken to ensure that you, you know, get that legacy, the spin-offs, the benefits for everyone? Well, we're already seeing that um, much of our infrastructure is being, investment is being accelerated and brought forward, particularly around the highway. 
uh, and um, bringing forward metro routes, sprint routes that will improve public transport for the future. We'll have a legacy in uh, the stadium itself, which should become the National Athletic Stadium for the United Kingdom. Uh, we'll have a brand new aquatic centre just across the border in Sandwell, which will be the best aquatics facility outside of London. So that should generate a lot of interest and a, 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 some further economic development and inward investments. And of course, the Athletes Village will become 1,000 new homes in a part of North Birmingham that would never have seen that sort of investment had we not successfully bid to host the Commonwealth Games. It'll be a trigger for another 2,000 uh, homes in the, uh, in the wider area. Uh, and again, as part of that, the station out there at Perivar will be upgraded, the con connectivity into the city centre will be dramatically improved. And the other bits of legacy that we're, we're going to be working very hard on is to ensure that people benefit by being encouraged to live healthier lives, we get more people active, and we use the games to build on community cohesion in the city. So we bring our communities together to celebrate the fact that we are all Brummies and that uh, you know this is our home city and we, we have this platform to demonstrate to the world what the city and its people have to offer. We'll never get a better opportunity than this, so we've got to make the most of it. It should be the trigger for more inward investment, the creation of even more jobs. And the real trick then is to ensure that people of this city, particularly those living in some of our more deprived areas, have the skills to have a chance of getting those jobs. Right, I'm going to go over to Carl and see if we've had any more callers in. Any we've questions? had a few comments about the quality of air across Birmingham. Uh, what is the council doing to make sure the air across the city is and healthy to breathe. I'm going to um, just repeat that for the microphone. Um, we've had questions about the quality of air, air pollution, um, and so we're going to ask, we, we're waiting with bated breath for a while now to see what the council's <laughs> plans are for the clean air zones and, and pollution. So, Bridget. So, um, so, so people are up to speed. There's been Birmingham, along with a number of other big cities in the UK, have air that is unsafe to breathe. 900 people a year are dying prematurely in our city because of air pollution and that's just not acceptable. So along with other cities across the UK we're looking at how we can tackle this problem. There's been a big court case that means we've been set a deadline uh, by which we've got to start bringing um, emissions down, uh, particularly those from diesel cars and heavy vehicles and what we've been grappling with for the last few months is working out exactly how we do that. And this, the answer um, is going to be a tricky one. We've got to obviously drive up people using public transport. We've got to get more people um, walking and cycling around the city. Um, and of course, we are looking at whether or not we need to charge people to come into the city centre if they're driving the most polluting vehicles. Wouldn't be all vehicles, just your most polluting ones. So these are all the questions we've been grappling with, trying to work out what's going to work. We're putting together our final proposals and we're going to be going out to public consultation in the next few weeks. I'm looking to Ian because I've forgotten the date. Uh, we are, it's over the next few weeks, yeah. But um, air pollution is, is a public health crisis, uh, not only in Birmingham and the other large cities. So it's got to be addressed and uh, it's the responsibility of all of us. So the council will need its partners across the city to come to the table here and jointly agree how we are going to tackle this health crisis. The 900 deaths a year, it's quite extraordinary. That compares with... 30 deaths from road traffic accidents. So this is this is a big bigger killer than road accidents on, on the road by some 
margin um, and we've got to do something about that uh, we cannot go on with mm. poor air quality in the city that's uh, that's killing people I mean in the run up to the, um, the election the, uh, the environment secretary Michael Gove said that Birmingham had been dragging its feet over this issue um, I take it that's something you would uh, contest oh, yeah yeah, we, I don't believe we've been dragging our feet. We, we, um, it's, it's a huge, huge issue. We've got to consult with people because, as Bridget has already said, uh, the, the, the regime is one of charging. So we've got to consult with people. We've got to bring people with us rather than do this to people. Uh, and as I've said, it's everyone's responsibility. And we've got 38 nurse, nurseries and 30 schools within 150 metres of a road that has poor air quality. We can't go on poisoning our children in this way. We've got to solve this. And we've got to solve it with the government as well. And they have a part to play in this because uh, there, are, there are issues that uh, we're going to need the government to come and provide the solution to. So taxis across the city, we know diesel taxis uh, and indeed in the private uh, hire sector, uh, petrol taxis as well uh, are adding to this problem. So how are we going to help uh, taxi drivers in the city to either convert their current cars to cleaner engines or to purchase new, cleaner vehicles. And we, we're going to need the government to come up with something like the diesel scrappage scheme that um, a past government introduced. We're going to need an initiative like that in order to ensure that we don't jeopardise living standards and livelihoods of, uh, of people living in the city. So you, you need government money to mm-hmm. allow people to update and upgrade their cars? Yeah. Okay. Um. That's one we'll ask government next time we get uh, <laughs> next time we get the environment secretary in. Um, any more, Carl? I mean, uh, we had a question from Courtney Holder asking uh, what the council can do to ensure the city has a vibrant nightlife going forward. We've had a few nightclubs close down recently, particularly in the south and Digbeth. Uh, how does the council ensure you know going forward it can rival places like Manchester and Newcastle and Liverpool? My, uh, <laughs> my, my, my time of enjoying the nightlife of the city is long behind me, so I'm going to let Bridget <laughs> talk about nightlife. So I represent a student ward, so I'm acutely aware of these issues. They, uh, they ask me about it every time I go and see the students. Um, I mean, we've had some of those venues closed down for a variety of reasons. Some of them, you know, very tragic deaths that have happened on the premises, and we have to take those issues seriously where there is drug abuse going on um, and other unsafe practices. Um, but on the whole for nightlife, what I want to do as a city is look, um, look at having a charter for nightlife and how we can how we can make sure we retain our thriving scene, Mm. because it is a fantastic um, live music and nightlife scene in this city, and we have to to make sure we don't jeopardise that. So when we have um, developments going up near venues, um, to me they have to respect the fact that those venues have existed there for a long time. Mm. You know, an iconic place like the Hare and Hounds in Kingsheath, um, too many to name in Digbeth, um, we've got to make sure that we are protecting uh, what's already there as well, uh, but we cannot ignore uh, the very serious issues that have led to some of them to close down. So would a charter balance um, protecting our nightlife, but also ensuring they're responsible and you know well behaved? Is that the, abso- the idea? Absolutely. Um, you've got to you've got to balance the needs of local residents because all of these venues are near where people live. You've got to make sure the people who attend these venues are safe um, and are going to have a safe night out um, and, and, and enjoy their time there. You've got to balance that, um, that side of it as well. 
the other balance, I think, is, is, is on the offer. So, yes, there will be bars uh, and places where people will go to drink. Broad Street is the best example of that in the city at the moment. We also need to have the, the other end of this. Uh, we need to have those um, high-quality restaurants that uh, attract a different demographic into the city centre because um, the economy, the, the value to the economy of, the, of nightlife in the city is really significant. Mm. So we need to make sure we, we get the balance right in the offer and we need to make sure that people coming into the city to enjoy the nightlife offer that we have can do that in a, in, in a safe way and that they can then at the end of the evening also get home safely. Okay, well, I hope that, um, that answers our question there. Um, I'm going to move on to something that, that we don't get a lot of questions about, but it's a massive issue for the council, and, um, and it's, it's social care. Um, Bridget's been in charge of children's social care for a few years, uh, five years, I think. Um, and obviously, social care on, on the whole is, is probably the largest part of the council's budget, yeah. the spending. So um, the government's tried to tackle, well, has made noises about trying to tackle this issue. Ageing population, rising costs uh, and rising needs and rising demand. Um, what would you say that, that you can do and what the uh, government needs to do to, to sort out this mess? Um, do you want to start, Bridget? I can do. Yeah, go on. Um, so I think it's twofold. Mm. Um, firstly, we've got to get our house in order in Birmingham. So we had a critical CQC inspection recently. Uh, that's like the offset of mm. the health world, the best way to describe that. So we had a critical inspection recently that looked not just the council, but the whole health system in the city and how it works mm. together. Um, and we've got some practices um, across the health system that we've got to modernise and drag into the 21st century. So that's one of the first things we've got to do. But um, as you mentioned, the funding issue um, just dominates all of it. We can have the most efficient, brilliant system in Birmingham and modernise it and, um, and do everything we need to do. But fundamentally, if there isn't enough money in the pot to pay for that system, we're going to have elderly and vulnerable people falling through those cracks. So whilst we're doing our bit to get the services up to standard, my ask to government would be, and to be fair, it's not just Birmingham City Council asking, this is pretty much every council in the country is facing the same problem, Tory councils as well. The ask the government would be to recognise the funding crisis that we've got and resource it properly. Yeah. Historically, the government's answer to that has been to stick an extra 1% on council tax, essentially making um, the most vulnerable people pay for their own care. That's not raising enough money. Uh, and it's not a sustainable way going forward, so we need proper funding because, reform. Yeah, because Birmingham doesn't raise a lot of money through council no. tax anyway, compared to other councils. Right. Yeah, yeah, that's absolutely correct. And that, that 3% that we've been able to add on to council tax uh, for the last couple of years, um, it's, it's no way to be funding the, uh, the social care system. Almost everybody recognises it's, it's underfunded and government need to address that problem in a, in a proper way that's raising the money fairly from uh, those who can afford to pay more and then distributing it fairly where the highest levels of need are and uh, the highest levels of need inevitably are in the large cities. The only other thing I'd say that... Um, we could, we could also be doing to improve is working more closely with the health service mm. uh, in, in order to ensure that we are not only delivering social care in an efficient way, but we're helping the health service in, as well by not having people who come out of hospital return into hospital mm. after a short period of time. Because from where I've been sitting, there's been talk about this through three, four, five years 
quite concerned. And before that, we had initiatives as well, um, like B Birmingham, to try and you know get public agencies working together. But fr from outside, it looks like every agency ends up defending its own turf and, and not wanting to put into the pool and, and, and share the wealth or the responsibility, the resources. And um, how, how do you get around that? I think we've got to work harder at that because it's in everyone's interest mm -hmm. to do it. You know, the, the health service will save money, uh, the council taxpayer will save money, and people will have healthier lives if we work more closely at getting this right. We've got to try and keep uh, people more active for longer, right. as everybody's living longer, so we've got to be, be more active for longer in order that we continue to live as healthy a life as we can and not increase the number of people that are having to live with medication or chronic illnesses for longer and longer periods of time. And when it comes to working together with the health sector, to be fair, we are miles ahead from where we were this time last year and that's been recognised in the CQC inspection. Um, relationships are much, much better and people are starting to together, come together around a plan for the future. Uh, the trick's going to be keeping, <laughs> keeping together and working on that um, as finances get tighter. Okay. Um, any more going, Carl? Uh, one key question from Jacqueline Andrews, who asks about homelessness, which is obviously one of the city's biggest issues at the minute. What is the council doing primarily to tackle that? Well, a key uh, driver of homelessness is uh, not having enough homes, so we've set out our plans to build the homes that we need to meet the needs of the people of Birmingham, its growing population, as I've been saying. Uh, we're also um, looking to tackle the issue of rough sleeping, uh, which uh, anybody who comes into the city centre will see a lot of. We work very closely in partnership with other agencies, particularly the third sector, to try and help people who've unfortunately found themselves in a situation where they don't have a job, they've lost their home, and they are then sleeping out on the street. And um, we've We've, we've been pioneers, really, of uh, 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 this partnership working to tackle this issue. And the recently um, announced initiative that the, uh, the mayor announced was something that Birmingham had been doing for some time. Uh, so we're, we're recognised as having best practice in this area, uh, but there's more that we can do, as you can see, if you walk around Birmingham, either late of an evening or first thing in the morning. And we've got to help these people to get back into mainstream life. This is not something that's predominantly the fault of people being lazy or not uh, not doing what they're supposed to be doing. Any of us could find ourselves in this situation due to, to unforeseen circumstances. So, you know, if we can help these people back into a, a, a normal life, that is the best way of resolving the problem. We're also investing a lot of effort upstream in homeless prevention. So we've just launched a new domestic violence strategy, um, domestic violence being a key driver of homelessness to make sure that we're helping victims um, in a different way to stop them from falling down that trap into homelessness. Well, we've stopped evicting families from um, council accommodation and we now work with families who have fallen into debt with us to work out what we can do um, to keep them in that tenancy and to stop their debt problems from getting worse. There's all sorts of, I mean, there's so many reasons people become homeless, uh, but as well as um, helping people who have ended up there Prevention is obviously better than cure, so that's where we're trying to, to focus our efforts and stop people from falling into that in the future. So going back to the, the um, conversations we're having about private landlords, is that something you can put through those boards as well, those tenancy um, groups you're trying to set up? There's something about what we want to do is empower, the te empower tenants in the private rented sector. Mm. 
Um, so if their landlords are evicting them for completely unreasonable reasons, they know their rights um, and they're able to, they're able to push back. Um, this is the kind of change we're hoping to see. Okay, thank you. Um, before we wrap up, um, I know Ian wanted to uh, mention a piece of good news he's had this week, and um, Ian used to be um, cabinet member responsible for the parks department, so I think it's something close to his heart. So, um, well, yeah, I, yeah I'm, I'm really proud of the uh, parks department of Birmingham City Council. There's some really talented people that work in, in parks, and that is demonstrated now, or has been uh, over recent years, the fact that we have been displaying at the Chelsea Flower Show each year and for the last seven years we have won a gold medal which is the highest uh, achievement at Chelsea and for people who work in the Parks Department to have this opportunity to display their talents on that platform at the highest level and to win a gold medal at Chelsea is a real tribute to the talent um, and the staff that we employ in Birmingham City Council and I'm delighted that the display we took down to Chelsea uh, earlier this week was on the theme of Windrush uh, it's again won a gold medal and Darren Cher who leads the team he, Darren and his team uh, they've done a tremendous job and the floral display will be recreated at the end of the Chelsea Flower Show out in Victoria Square in front of the council house I would encourage people to come in uh, and view it because it's, uh, they'll see when they come and see it you can see the talent of the people we employ in the Parks Department and they are as they keep demonstrating by winning these gold medals they are the best in the country of any local authority Okay, um, well, well done to them. Um, perhaps if I just ask for a closing comment from both of you about where you see Birmingham in four years' time with you, under your guidance. So I'll start with Bridget. Okay. Tough one. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, the big thing in four years' time is, of course, the Commonwealth Games. Mm. So by then, we're looking to have the infrastructure. Uh, well, by then, uh, you will have new um, metro routes in place around the city. You'll have new sprint bus routes around the city. You'll have um, lots of the building sites in the city centre will be finished. You'll have HSBC have moved in. You'll have um, HMRC will have moved the headquarters here. Um, the city will be one of, of so many more opportunities and such a better place to live um, just in time for us to take our place on the world stage. Okay. And I'd also like to think that over the next four years we'll do something to build civic pride in Birmingham amongst the population, that people becoming proud again that they live in Birmingham, proud of their city, proud that they have a council that has delivered uh, on the needs that they have, built the homes, cleaned the streets, ensured we've got an efficient refuse collection service, repaired the potholes, and uh, Birmingham becoming a city that people are duly proud of and prepared to go out into the wider world and talk about their home city in glowing terms. Mm -hmm.